Hello everyone and thank you for tuning into the Stu Simpson Show. Happy New Year and welcome to a brand new season. It's 2022 and on the Stu Simpson Show we normally talk to very creative and very interesting people. Today we've got a bit of both. We've got a very interesting and a very creative person indeed. We have the Reverend Edward Johnson. Hello Edward, how are you today? Hello Stu, I'm, I'm well. Yeah, I've, I had a good day. Excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really good to be with you. Um, should we just kick off? Because um, I think by the title of what you do, it's already given people an inclination of maybe what your job is. Hi, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I'm a vi- I am a vicar. Excellent. Um, straight out with it, yeah. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask, I forgot to put this in the questions earlier. Um, what is the difference between a vicar, a reverend and a priest? There isn't really a difference. Um, I mean, Reverend is a title, like mm-hmm. Mr. Mrs. Um, a priest is what I became when I was ordained, and I'm a priest whether or not I'm working. So when I retire, I'll still be a priest. Um, if I went and worked in a factory, I would still be a priest, whereas vicar is like my job. So while I'm employed um, to be vicar of wherever, then you know I am a vicar. So, so- I guess that's... That brings me to the first question. Sense? Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, so, you, I was brought up a Catholic, uh, and we had one priest. Uh, and but you, it seems that you have you are a reverend for a number of churches. I know you from um, your work in Saint Peter's in Castle Carrick, where I live some of the time. Yeah. Um, where else do you? How many churches do you um, preside over? I'm vicar of six churches. Six parishes. Um, I mean, they're all small country parishes. Uh, and I also do quite a lot of youth work in Brampton. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, it used to be the case that every village had its own vicar um, in the good old days. Um, it's just that's not sustainable anymore. So um, where did your journey begin? As a, Did you always want to be a priest? Well, no, not at all. I, I was brought up atheist. Um, I wasn't christened as a, as a baby. Um, my mum was, in a very sort of matter-of-fact way, just atheist. And my dad was actually very anti-church, anti-Christian. Right. Um, so I guess I kind of reacted against that. It made, it made me think. I mean, I know there's a thousand different kinds of atheists, and I've got a great deal of respect for, for very many of them. But um, in, in the case of my parents, I, I kind of couldn't couldn't buy into, into their, their values or... Um, their, their view of the world. So I was sort of searching around when I was 17 years old. I took it upon myself to go to go along to the local Church of England village church. And it all went from there. Got myself baptized a year later. Wow. That's um that's that sounds that's quite rare. You that you it's normally the other way around because for me I was brought up I lost my faith. Um yeah. 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 Well, I know. I mean, I think um, I mean I meet a lot of uh, choir boys who who wouldn't touch church with a barge pole anymore. So maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I mean, was... the only other religious member in my whole family was a Quaker aunt. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm still very much interested in theology, and they've kind of taken a because I did become an I was I wanted to be a priest, uh, and then I came oh, out at 17, yeah. uh, and eventually. Um, after a few years, I've kind of come back around to the idea of believing in something. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
at the start of your journey, is it because you went to an Anglican church that made you want to become an Anglican priest? Or did you just... Yeah, I think, uh, if I'd been French in France, then it would have been a Catholic church, I'm sure. And, you know, that would have probably felt very natural. Um, but for me, uh, it was the only... Ch- the thing about the country ch- churches is that they are generally Church of England. Um, but also the whole the whole sort of uh, ethos of the Church of England kind of suited me. You know, um, I didn't I didn't go along to church with lots of kind of hard and fast beliefs or assumptions. And so the kind of space you have in, in, in the Anglican setup to sort of explore uh, and the broadness of, of the Anglican church, you know, gave me that sort of sense of um, freedom mm-hmm. to explore things, you know, in my own time. Yeah. In my own way. So who, who is the man behind the vestments? So the people see you as them, um, as the vicar, um, but, who are you who are you behind closed doors? Because you can't always be praying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm a I'm I'm someone who um, was born in Newcastle upon Tyne. Hey, never lived. <laughs> yeah, never lived there. But my my mum both both sides of my family were from there. So uh, my mum went back up there just to have me born there. Um, and uh, I was brought up though in Warwickshire and went to Birmingham as a student and came out of Birmingham 20 years later with uh, a wife, uh, three kids and a dog collar. Oh. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and here I am, I came up here in 2006. Um, yeah, who, are, who am I behind the vestments? Well, nothing very exciting, I don't think, to kind of- um, do, do you have any hobbies? Shock anyone. <laughs> yeah, I've been a Kaylee band for um, several years. Really, what do you uh, play? Fiddle, fiddle. Uh-huh. Um, but we disbanded um, about three years ago when two members moved down to Liverpool. Oh dear! What were you called? Jiggery pokery. Jiggery. <laughs> I've heard of you. I've actually, <laughs> I'm, it's, hey, oh, I, we did lots of ladies locally. Yeah. Excellent. I don't excellent. think we ever did one of Castle Carrick though. No, I don't think you ever did it. Um, if we'd known that, we would have helped you put the band back together and got you on a music on the mall. <laughs> Yeah. So for who for our listeners who know little of Christianity, so what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, the Old Testament's older. Um, <laughs> it's the holy book. Yeah, it's, it's the holy book of the, um, the the Jewish communities, Jewish faith. So it's often called the Hebrew Bible. Um, the the New Testament is the holy book of, the, of Christians, specifically. Um, which we add on to the Old Testament. Um, it's New Testament is the writings of Jesus' followers and witnesses to his life, death and resurrection. And it tries to explore what that could mean for us. Um, but of course, Jesus didn't write anything and he was a Jew. Um, so his holy book was the Old Testament. Um, so it naturally gets joined together for Christians with the New Testament. Um, and, you know, they're both books written by communities over long periods of time with, with many different voices and within them. And, um, yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, how, it seems like a very obvious question, but do you pray? And if so, how often? Right. Well, I have to pray. It's my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that because actually you, you, you are supposed to pray uh, twice a day. 
uh, as a vicar, do what they call morning and evening prayer. Um, and so I do my best to do that. And one of the things about the pandemic is that it gave me the space and the opportunity to commit myself to going to each of my six churches once a week to do morning or evening prayer. And people have been joining me, um, which was what was originally um, envisioned by, uh, by the Church of England when it's, you know, in the 1500s, it, it, it put this in place. So, I mean, prayer, yeah, you have to pray as a Christian. You want to pray. I mean, faith is meaningless because it's, it's um, without prayer because prayer is essentially a relationship with, with God. And just like a relationship with, with anyone else, it has lots of different modes, um, listening, speaking, arguing, shouting, meditating in silence, you know, and um, so it, it, it's always got to be there and it's got to be real. Um, but, but the discipline of the morning and evening prayer is important. And that involves, you know, reading some scripture each day. And, and it, always feels, it always feels special when you're with other people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So did you do that during the pandemic? You say you went to the different parishes. Did you do that via Zoom or did you, or did you have to do that? Or could you do that in, uh, in real life? No, I went in real life. Yes, but if it's just me on my own in a church, that's fine. Um, if it's just me on my own, I'll let you into a secret. If it's just me on my own, I sometimes sing hey. the songs. Yeah, but um, if there's other people with me, I don't do that. <laughs> oh wow! I, th I think you, you should. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a lovely uh, voice. Uh, mm, well, uh, but yeah, I mean that's a traditional. The, the Psalms in the Old Testament were songs originally. Mm -hmm. so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So because I, I recently yeah, went I to I well, the same. I'm kind of rediscovering a faith at the moment of something. Um, and I went to, yeah. um, there's a church in London where I am right now. There's a church about on my street and I assumed was Catholic. My partner, Richard, is there, is fully atheist, but he's absolutely um, supportive. In however, I follow whatever it is that I want to do, just go and do it sort of thing, yeah. which is great. Um, but I thought, so the, I thought there's a church at the bottom of the street. I'll go and have a little listen on a Sunday. Went in, there's like, mm -hmm. Um, incense everywhere, and those people sing. The whole thing was being sung. I was like, and I was like, "This is a language I don't understand." It was Greek Orthodox. Oh, wow. and it was really, Wonderful. really interesting. And today, apparently, is um, Christmas Eve in the Greek Orthodox faith. So it's yeah, Christmas. Epiphany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us, it's when we Epiphanies when we think of the wise men visiting Bethlehem. Um, but yeah, they they mark it as Christmas. So, what is it? Is it different for the um, Greek Orthodox? Do you know? Yeah, Greek and Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, all the Orthodox churches, which broke off from the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, um, I don't know, a thousand years ago. Um, one of the things which crazily kind of people fell out about was when to celebrate Christmas and Easter and those sorts of things. Um, there, there, there was some other, other stuff as well, to be fair. Yeah, and I'm I'm, re I'm reading a book about it at the moment. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So it just it was serendipitous that it turned out the church that I thought was Catholic isn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. So obviously, who, what is God to you then? So it's your, what's your personal relationship? What do you believe God is? Which is a big question. Well, well, I think I mean, I think the Bible leads up to a very simple statement, which sounds trite, but it's in the, in, at the end, 
in, in the um, one of the epistles of John, which would be one of the latest bits in the Bible, it just says God is love. You know, um, and that's that's the culmination of a process of reflection on on, on Jesus and um, and what I'd add to that, which I which I do believe, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's a lifetime to explore what that might might mean. Um, is that God is personal, and I suppose for me, that's um, there are two things why that's important to me: that God's personal rather than impersonal. One is that if God were impersonal, I'd, I'd have to see Him as as a, a lower form of being to myself, because you know it's hard to see the impersonal as a higher form of life than the, the personal. We certainly don't live like as, as though that were true. Um, and also this whole thing about relationship, you know, um, relationships two-way. And if um, I'm going to have a relationship with God, God's got to be, got to be personal, much more than I can understand by what I call personal, but but certainly no less than that. Um, so yeah, but I mean, the bottom line is you can't define God. You can't capture God with any concepts. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can have ideas and pictures and metaphors that point you hopefully in the right direction. Um, and and, and you, there's lots of paradoxes with faith. I think, you know, that God is unknown, but, and yet somehow we can connect and know God, connect with and know God. Um, but yeah, if I was pressed for a very simple um few words i'd say god is love so you don't see god as a controlling entity um this i I come across this with atheists quite often yeah no no i think freedom is real and i don't think whether i was a i think whether i was a, a theist or an atheist i don't think i'd accept that I think my choices are real choices um, and that there is there is a basic freedom to life. Um, so I don't think we're controlled uh, or at least, I mean, we are, I suppose we are, we are controlled by all sorts of things, but I think we can be set free too. Um, and I think God's relationship with creation is, could, could almost be said as to be a sort of abdication in the sense that if there's going to be a reality where people can can live free lives um, and, and, and develop with freedom, then that has to be a reality in which God has stepped back from it. Um, in a way that a parent steps back from it, a mm-hmm. child, you know. Um, so a kind of um, emptying, if you like, is how I would see. And yet God is still present with us. It's another, it's another paradox, isn't it? And I think this is this thing called the Trinity, where, yeah. where we say we believe this. It totally illogical thing of God being one and God being three is a way of acknowledging that um, well they are concepts don't make you know they don't capture reality but in a, in a defining way mm. but something like the Trinity it holds on to the the experience of um, the Christian community that we encounter God as other and transcendent but also we encounter God as present and intimate and close to us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes in life, we have to hold onto two things which seem contradictory, but you know they're both true. So maybe one day we'll understand. I, I hope so. Um, so <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> so did um, 
So it, do you believe that Jesus did, did exist? And if so, was he the son of God? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, <clears throat> maybe I've missed something, but it's never seemed to me very um, controversial to believe that someone called Jesus actually existed. I mean, that, you know, that he was raised from the dead. Yes, obviously, um, a lot of people would deny that, but um, I'm sure he existed. Yeah, because I mean, the whole existence of the New Testament, I, I just don't think you'd make it up, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And the whole existence, I, mean, I think he's better attested as a, a real human being than many, um, many other figures in, in the ancient world. So yeah, I'm, sure, I mean, I'm personally very sure, well, if I stop believing in God, I'd still think Jesus existed. Yeah. Um, was he the son of God? Well, I think that's another of those metaphors. Um, you know, father, son, parent, child, it's a human picture you're drawing there. And I think what it signifies is that people who encountered Jesus experienced someone in, who seemed to embody God in a unique way. In other words, when they met him, they met, they met God, you know. Um, he embodied, yeah, in, in some unique way, he, he, he embodied God and um, transformed people as a result, or, or, or they, they ran a mile. But um, so, have you, so if God is love and Jesus embodied mm. God, then Jesus is love. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. nice. Um, so have you yeah. ever had a crisis of faith? Yeah. Yeah. Very early on, when I was 22, I was working in a YMCA. Mm-hmm. in Lincoln doing a sort of dog's body job and um, I was in a band again and uh, it wasn't a Christian band or anything uh, but this, the songwriter who played the guitar um, had just come out of a, a fairly fundamentalist church somewhere else and he was very angry and he was he was, he was, he was certainly more intelligent than me um, and he he threw all sorts of questions at me and they, they weren't really my questions, which is partly why I struggled with them, but I, I couldn't answer them. And effectively, he could just out-argue me. And I, ha- I had a huge amount of respect for him. I had more respect for him than for many of the Christians who I knew at that time. And um, it caused me a great deal of soul-searching. Mm. And I think it helped me realise, in the end, why I, why I did have a faith. Um, so how did it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. How did it manifest itself? How did it manifest itself as a, as a crisis? In a sense, did you, other than just questioning, did you stop going to church, for example? No, 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 I didn't. No, and I think one of the things I, I, I discovered through that was that even when it made no sense, I still had, I still believed. Um, although I didn't know, well, I think I did know why. I believed because coming to faith in my late teens had turned my life around mm-hmm. in a very positive way. Um, and in a way in which I, I hadn't been in control. And uh, there had been situations and choices I needed to make where I prayed quite desperately and God had come through for me. And so at the end of the day, that was real. Um, and so it, it kind of um, knocked my intellectual arrogance and, and it was very, uh, it was quite humbling, really. But mm-hmm. so, I mean, I went away and I did a lot more thinking, you know. And, uh, and when you go to, did you go to seminary school? Um, to, to what learn? I did was when I, when I, when I, um, I, I went and did a theology degree. Okay. 
when I, uh, I had a year out after school. My mother had died when I was 17. Um, she'd wanted me to do the law. Um, I hadn't got good enough grades to do the law. I didn't really want to do the law. Um, and what I decided I wanted to do was explore, explore this faith that I'd found. So I went and did theology at Birmingham. Uh, along with you know people of no faith and other faiths it was uh, not a training to be a priest it was just a degree um and then several years later i went to well the equivalent of seminary a theological college to actually mm -hmm. train to be a vicar mm. how long does that take uh that was two years for me but they gave me a year off because i had done a theology degree oh excellent <laughs> And, um, it was good, and it meant that when I did, because I'd done a lot of theology, I, I was able to do a much more sort of contextual training. So I went and lived in a house with other three other um, uh, students in Hansworth in Birmingham, and I had placements at a at the Saddam Hussein Mosque, and wow. the Barker Street wow. Drugs Team, and at a, a, an all black Anglo Catholic church. That's Church of England, but mm -hmm. very high, um, and uh, somewhere else. Were you all studying theology? Yeah, school. We were all studying to be vicars. Yeah. Yeah. So university must have been quite different for you than a lot of other university degrees. How were yeah. you part? Did well, you that, that, was, that was my theology. That was my college. Back yeah. at university, yeah, they used to drag me off to nightclubs and things. And um, yeah, yeah. So how was the um, process? I mean, that about... was a very... <laughs> Sorry? Go on. How was, no, the, how, how, how was the process about, um, say you're in a nightclub, for example, this is what comes to mind, mm. um, and yeah. a girl, girl approaches you, yada, 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 what do you want to do with your life? And then, well, I want to be a vicar. I wish, yeah, I wish that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, when I was, that was when I was doing my first degree. I didn't know that I wanted to be a vicar then. Okay. And I, I probably wouldn't have admitted I was doing a theology degree either. I've, I, that was I had two choices. Well, a number of choices: theology or art. Was um, and oh, actually, so three choices: theology, art, or music. And I was never sure if I'd made the right decision. But because of because um, I came out as gay when I was um, eighteen, and because of that, yeah. that really kind of turned me away from theology. Um, because I was brought up a Catholic, and well, they they didn't really um, they, obviously the Catholics um, aren't very fond of homosexuality very much. So I was wondering. How the how does the Church of England approach LGBTQI plus issues? Well, I mean, when you were eighteen, um, I'm not sure you'd have had that much of a different experience, to be honest, um, from the Church of England. Uh, it, it, the Church of England is a very broad church. I mean, there's two spectrums: there's the high church, low church spectrum, uh, sort of Anglo-Catholic at one end with all the incense and, mm -hmm. and confession and everything, and then very Protestant simple worship at the other and then there's a, the liberal conservative spectrum and the liberal you can find the liberal and conservative in, in both ends of the high church and the low church what i'm saying is it would very much depend on what church you'd you'd encountered and uh, because you've within the church of england you've got fundamentalism and you've got some quite radical liberalism as well and um at the moment, I mean, what the Church of England would say would be that, you know, um, they'd want to affirm you as a gay man and as a gay Christian. That's what they'd say. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, as things stand, I wouldn't be allowed to bless a same-sex relationship. 
So mixed messages, really. And the general, the general Synod, which is like the Parliament of the Church of England, is due to make a, a final decision on this in the next year or two. Really? Um, yeah. So I think it could change. I think, to be honest, I, I think it is going to change. Mm -hmm. I hope it will. But what will probably then happen is a split in the church. Um, Do you think it might be similar to what happened when um, women were introduced as vicars? Yeah, I think I think the I think the split could be more more far reaching. Really, potentially. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, I mean you see it in America, don't you, with Christianity in America, how strong the sort of reactionary conservative forms of Christianity out there are, and and those often seem to be in the um, the churches which have which have grown and have even attracted you know younger people sometimes. Um, and uh, that just seems to be a phenomenon, really. So that element in the Church of England is quite strong, but I think the Church of England as a whole will nevertheless um, make the decision to allow us to um, to bless same-sex relationships. Because, for example, I've and got... Archbishop Tutu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not Archbishop Tutu. Yeah, I mean, he was really... He was really um, affirming on this, you know, and, and said, you know, God made... Whether you're gay or straight, God made you beautiful, and you've got to become the person you're created to be. And there's a sort of prophetic voice on that. Yes, that must have been quite a, a big blow recently, but losing Desmond Tutu. Well, he was ninety, but um, he was an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, I saw saw a quote which I had to share on Facebook, and that he said something along the lines of, um, "If I get to heaven and God says that homosexuals aren't." welcome then he'd rather go to the other place <laughs> yeah i saw that <laughs> i thought that was quite yeah. um, profound really so um mm. so what do you mostly enjoy about being a, a vicar well it's a huge privilege to be given this um role whereby you you can share with people in really intense and personal parts of their lives um uh, you know, I'm talking about funerals, weddings, um, losses, you know, the, the joys and sorrows of life, really. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to, um, to work with people um, in community. Um, it's, it's, very, it's not because as a vicar you're creative, but you're drawn into the creativity that comes from, you know, um, people coming together and um, making a journey together and God is creative and uh, there's a lot of opportunism comes with it. You can't plan. I mean, the church tries to make us come up with that mission action plans and strategies and all this sort of stuff, but that's not how it works. Um, you have to go with the flow. You have to try and dis see what, see where you're meeting God, where, where God's trying to take you, how God's trying to challenge you and others. And, um, and all of that's wonderful, but the, the downer, I suppose, is being spread so thin as we are, um, and and all 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 the policies and um, the bureaucracy which comes into it these days. You know, mm. so you, you imagine being a vicar is going around and visiting lots of people, but my visiting is mainly kind of crisis visiting, really, um, and uh, the rest of too it. much time you know, in front of a computer, really. 
filling in paperwork or well, virtual paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound very holy. Too many meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not, you know, we're not that holy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I was like I said, I was brought up a Catholic, and one of the things which I really enjoyed—I say enjoyed—well, interestingly, I probably did enjoy it a bit. Was having confession. Is that a part mm. of of, um, of the Anglican Church? In in the formalized way in which you you have it in the Roman Catholic Church, you'd only find it in the Anglo-Catholic end of the Church of England, um, where you know there's a, there's a very clear procedure for making your confession and receiving absolution. But in a more informal way, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard deathbed confession and, um, and obviously in, a, in an informal way, people, people just share. And we are, I suppose, authorized to uh, uh, absolve. Um, but we don't have little boxes to sit yeah. in. And, um, uh, that's uh, for, for me, that's- People don't make an appointment. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, it would be interesting. I often wonder what it would have been like to have been a Catholic or a Catholic priest. And because you always see that, don't you, when you see a, a television drama or something about uh, a Catholic or, or a priest, uh, the confession always, um, the confessional becomes a sort of key moment often mm. in the storyline, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you can see why. Yeah. Well, it's quite a, it's a powerful place. There's a, a thing when you put a barrier a visual barrier in between seeing the other person you can sort of let out more for some reason yeah. you, you can be more honest about kind of they can't look you in the eye so therefore you can sort of be fully and that's between you and god they're supposed to be the conduit between you and god to kind of like yeah i've done this thing i'll i'm sorry about it <laughs> sort of stuff um yeah, yeah. so because i think and then as I got a bit older, they tried to introduce in different churches I'd been to um, a confessional without the without the confessional box, and I didn't like it. <laughs> it was like I'm not used yeah. to that. I'm not, it's not right. Um, yeah. So you were saying before there's there's, there's lots of creativity in what you do, um, and you, I didn't know you were a fiddle player and didn't know you played in bands and things. But there's so there's a there's massive performative elements of being a, a vicar or a priest of any sort. Yeah. Um, were you drawn to the church because of those performative elements? Was that was that something which appealed to you? I think. Um, I mean, I, I hope that the main sort of appeal was um, more a, a lot more than that. Um, I, I, it was more about, you know, I felt this is, this is stuff which really matters and can make a huge difference in people's lives. Yeah. I suppose part of the attraction is, is, is a clear role. And the role gives you permission um, to, to relate in certain ways. Um, and I've never been averse to dressing up. So, you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's all right. I mean, I mean, the thing about wearing robes and vestments is it kind of... Well, for one thing, you don't have to worry about what you put on in the morning because you're just going to shove a, an alba or a cassock over it anyway. Um, but also, it, it, I think it makes the point that it's not all about you as a personality. Um, you, you know, you are a representative, you are in role. And <laughs> underneath the vestments, you're as, fr you know, as fragile and um, broken a person as anyone else. Absolutely. Um, mm. I, was, I was very, yeah. I was quite, I, I, attracted to the performative element as well as the um mm. 
the, the, the dressing up as well. I mean, you've got the best costumes. <laughs> you really do. Yeah, and 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 the ritual, you know, there's yes. something safe and um, and quite profound, I think, about the ritual element. Um, so yeah, I'd probably, yeah, well, I'm probably more at the sort of slightly higher church end of things, but mm-hmm. I'm quite comfortable being formal as well. So. I mean, standing up in front of 250 teenagers in William Howard Secondary School. Um, you know, you've got to put on a bit of a, you've got to project yourself there. Absolutely, yeah. So how does it go Tough down? Audience. How does it go down with the kids these days? It's hard to know because they only give you three or four minutes, and it's not really doesn't really give you much time to interact. So it's kind of stand and deliver, you know, and um, you, you get a sense of how it goes down. But, um, but it's more the youth work side of things and youth youth clubs and, and that where you actually. Um, are engaging the young people. So could you tell me a little bit more about the youth work in Brampton? Mm, yeah, so um, we've got a, a youth worker called Ruth and we've got a place called the Green Door Centre, which used to be where they held toddler groups, but we've got it now for um, youth work. So we've got pool tables, table tennis, um, uh, an area for um, loafing around and sitting on sofas and before the pandemic, it was going great guns. We were getting 20, 25 youngsters along to a drop-in on a Wednesday night. That was a, a not, not a religious group at all. It was just trying to provide a, a way of um, getting young people off, well, somewhere safe and off the street. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then on Friday nights, we do more, well, still, still youth groups, but with a bit of a um, Christian element input or whatever. Um, and that was going equally, equally well, equally good numbers. And of course, with the pandemic, um, it's all ground to a halt, and we've done a bit online, but it's not the same. It's interesting the young the young people, especially the drop in centre lot, they haven't really wanted to do the online stuff. I think they really enjoyed actually having mm-hmm. a place to hang out and relax in their own space, whereas they're online all the time anyway. Yeah, so especially about you know meeting a youth worker online. Mm. Mm. It's it's a whole any performance type thing also has that same element and the interact the human interaction thing it's um it's just not the same doing anything like this over over um, even though we're doing it now <laughs> but this is a conversation yeah. <laughs> um so what is the, what do you think the future of the church in the 21st century is then um i think i don't know uh it's you know it's on the wane isn't it in, in, in many ways. Um, I think we've only got a future as the church if we're open, if you like, to a continuing conversion of ourselves. Um, and I think what the Bible, for me, what the Bible witnesses to is not a set of rules um, so much as just it witnesses to a process in which um, God converts his people as they have to confront the reality of the world. And, and, and they start to find God in places where they didn't expect to. And then they have to do their sort of um, thinking that through afterwards. And so I think the church will have a future if, if we are open to always a deeper conversion and transformation, um, which means being open to the pain of the world. It means being open to the joy of the world. It being, means being open to reality, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, yeah, I suppose 
the person in me that that deep down has faith doesn't doesn't actually worry too much because at the end of the day you know we, we are talking about god here and it doesn't all depend on on whether the church of england as an institution survives or evolves or or thrives um christian faith is a faith in in, in resurrection new life coming out of what what is dying or dies mm. yeah. nice and finally what's next for you personally what are you doing with your life <laughs> well i'm glad you asked me that question because i'm really um excited about the fact that i've been a uh, given permission to take a sabbatical hey which means i i get three months off this summer um for my own personal formation as they put it so i'll be in july august and september i've got that um, you're allowed to apply for it once every seven years um i haven't had one for 10 so wow and i'm going to but what i'm applying to do is to go on a 30-day uh, silent retreat Ooh. um a guided retreat so you it's it is silent, but you get to meet a spiritual guide for 45 minutes each day um, to talk things through a bit. Um, and uh, that will be with actually that will be with the Jesuits, who, of course, are a Roman Catholic order. Um, uh, so that's what I'm hoping I'll be allowed to do. Where does that take place? Um, go on that. Takes place in North Wales in a big Gothic um building called St Binos um, you can google it and you, you'll see it it's, um, it's a place where they they built it in Victorian times to train Jesuit priests but now they use it for as a retreat centre so there's there's definitely still some god in me somewhere because that that sounds really good <laughs> that, really, that sounds like yeah. a really nice thing to do uh, yeah I'm looking forward to it I mean I think 30 days would be testing but I'm quite a strong introvert. I, I've always liked to, um, I've always been too comfortable most of the time on my own. The good thing about this will be that it'll, I'll be accountable with it. You know, yeah. I can't just kind of go into myself and forget. Well, I, I found that matters. during the pandemic. Um, that was because mm. everybody going, oh, it's awful. I can't see anybody. I'm like, really, this is great. <laughs> so I'm having a brilliant time. Yeah. I can, I can yeah. meditate. I can pray. I can do my exercise. I can, etc., etc. Yeah. It was a brilliant type for me personally for 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 reflection. Um, but I, but I, maybe that's because I was brought up with those um, fundamental values, perhaps of of time on my own, perhaps. Mm-hmm yeah yeah well like i say i wasn't brought up with any sort of a faith at all but but i was always someone who liked to be off on their own i mean what i when i was in birmingham i used to do it by getting the last train out from birmingham of an evening walking all night and then getting the first train back the next day from some other like you know starting off at stratford in the evening and winding up in banbury the next morning wow but now you have a wife and children sorry (laughs) well my wife still lets me do it from time to time yeah <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for for this interview. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. Oh, thank you so much for having me on board. It's my first podcast, so hooray! Um, well, hopefully, you'll do more. Good. <laughs> good. That'd be great. Excellent. Thank you very much, and um, I shall speak to you soon. Uh, God bless. God I guess. Bless you. <laughs> God bless you. God bless. Take care. Bye bye.